Chapters 33 through 37 of An American Robinson Crusoe. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. This reading by Allison Hester of Athens, Georgia. An American Robinson Crusoe by Samuel B. Allison. Chapter 33 Robinson Builds a Boat. Robinson had wished for a boat many times. He wished to explore the shore of his island. He wanted to go clear around it so that he might see it on every side. But he knew the work of making a boat would be great, if not wholly impossible. The shaping of boards to build a boat with his rude tools was not to be thought of. He knew how the Indians made boats out of bark trees, but he saw that for his purpose so light a boat would not do. He finally remembered a second Indian way of making a boat by hollowing out a large log. The forest was full of the boles of trees that had been blown down, but they were far away from the shore. At first, he did not think of this very much. He had overcome so many difficulties that he thought, Never mind, I will get my boat to water no matter where I make it, in some way. So he selected a tree trunk some distance from the bank of the little creek near his cave and began to work. He had first to burn out his log the proper length and hack it into boat shape with his stone tools. This was very slow and tedious work. He had to handle the fire with great care, for there was always the danger of spoiling the shape of the slowly forming boat. Both ends must be sharpened, but one more than the other to form the prow or forward going in. After he had shaped his boat, he began hollowing it out. This he did also by burning for the most part. He used the branches of the pitch bearing trees for this purpose, but it was so slow. He worked at his boat all the time he could spare from his regular duties in attending to his goats, his garden, and his cave. He was always making his cave larger. Every time he made a piece of furniture or stored away grain, he must make more room in his cave by digging away the earth and carrying it out. He had made a large, strong wicker basket for this purpose. He had had a vague idea that when he got his boat done, he would dig a trench back from the bank of the creek and thus float his boat, but he had not thought it out clearly. Or anyway, he thought, I can in some way manage to roll it to the water. He must now actually plan to put some of these ideas into effect. First, he went over the ground and found that to dig a trench from the water to the boat so that the water would come to the boat, he would have to dig it 20 feet deep. I can never do this, he said, with my poor tools. He next tried his rolling plan, but he had been so anxious to have a large boat that he had overlooked everything else. Try as hard as he might, he could not stir his boat from the spot. After many trials with the longest levers he could handle, the boat still stuck fast. It would not budge an inch. He at last gave up. It will lie here, he thought, to remind me how foolish it is to attempt to do anything without first having thought it out carefully. There was nothing to do but choose another tree trunk. This time he selected a much smaller one, and one that lay at the top of the little slope or incline from the bank of the creek. After another weary six months of work, he had his second boat ready for launching. 
with a good stout lever he gave it a start when it rolled quickly down into the water robinson again wept for joy of all his projects this had cost him the most work and pains and at last to see his plan successful filled him with delight the next problem was how to make it go he had no certain knowledge how far it was around the island but he knew it was farther than he wanted to row or paddle his boat yet he knew from the way the wind blew that he could not always depend upon a sail to help him he must become skillful in paddling his boat a sail too would be very helpful at times he imagined how pleasant it would be sitting in the boat sailing along with a gentle wind when the wind is favorable he thought i will only have to steer with my paddle so he set about weaving a sail of his sail fiber to do this he had to make a much larger loom than he had yet used his sail must be at least four feet square he was now so skilled in weaving that this was soon finished he then made plenty of string cord and rope put in a mast and was ready to sail but he did not venture far away until he had spent weeks and weeks in learning to steer sail and paddle his boat End of chapter 33, Robinson Builds a Boat. Chapter 34, Robinson as Sailor. Ever since Robinson had finished his boat, he had been eager to make a tour of the island. He had indeed made a journey by land, but the deep forests and tangled vines made it very difficult to travel. His journeys had shown him but a small part of the land, he wished to know all about the land of which he so far as he knew was the sole master his first care was to fit up his boat with provisions he made some large baskets in which to carry food and a large covered jar for water these he stored in the bow and the stern of his boat he fastened his parasol on the stern for a shelter from the sun he baked up a quantity of cakes or loaves of bread and packed them in his baskets he had woven these so carefully that they would almost hold water at last all was ready it was on the sixth day of november in the sixth year of his life on the island that robinson hoisted his sail and set out upon this voyage of discovery he had waited until the wind was gentle and blowing as far easterly as it does at that place he scudded along bravely running with the land toward the east and north all went well until he came to a low reef or ledge of rocks running far out to sea in a northeasterly direction when robinson observed this he went on shore and climbed to a high point to see if it was safe to venture he was afraid of hidden currents or streams of water these might carry him away from the shore and prevent him from getting around the point he did indeed observe that there was a current running out to sea past the ledge but he thought he could by careful paddling keep his boat from striking the rock if he could once get beyond the ledge the wind would help him double or get around the point indeed the danger was that the wind would blow him onto the rocks he waited for two days for a gentle wind at last without sail he pushed his boat into the current and was borne swiftly seaward he found the current much stronger than he thought it would be it rushed his frail boat on past the point of the rocks and out into the sea 
Try as best he might, he could not change its course. He was steadily going out to sea. He gave himself up for lost. He reproached himself for being so rash and foolhardy as to trust his fortunes in so frail a craft. How dear at this time seemed the island to him. The wind which he had depended on to help him at this point has died down, so that it was at the mercy of the current. He kept urging his boat to the westward as much as possible with all his strength, hoping that a breeze would finally spring up. He struggled on bravely until about noon. He had been carried out a great distance into the sea, but not so far as to lose sight of the land. All at once, he felt the breeze freshening up. It caught his sail, and soon his boat was cutting across the current. He did not have to go far before he was free from it, and making headway for the island, which he reached about four o'clock in the afternoon. He found himself on the northern shore of the island, but before long, the shore ran away to the southward again. He ran briskly along the west side until he found a little bay or cove. He determined to enter this, draw up his boat on shore, and make his way back home across the island on foot. He was almost exhausted with his great labor and was worn out with anxiety. In the center of the arms of the cove, he found a little creek entering the sea. He paddled into this and found a good place to hide his boat. As soon as Robinson was again on land, he fell on his knees and with tears in his eyes, thanked God for his deliverance. The island, which had seemed to him a prison, now seemed the fairest and dearest place in the world. Having made his boat safe, he started back toward his shelter, but he was too tired to go far. He soon came to a little grove of trees, beneath which he laid himself down and soon was fast asleep. You can imagine with what surprise Robinson was awakened out of his sleep by a voice calling his name. Robinson! Robinson Crusoe! it said. Poor Robinson Crusoe! Where are you, Robinson? Where have you been? He was so fast asleep that he did not at first rouse up entirely and thought he was dreaming. But the voice kept calling, Robinson! Robinson! Poor Robinson Crusoe! He was greatly frightened and started up, but no sooner were his eyes opened than he saw his parrot sitting on a branch of a tree. He knew at once the source of the voice. Polly had missed her master and was also exploring the island. It was a pleasant surprise. She immediately flew to him and lit on his shoulder. She showed in many ways how glad she was to see him and kept saying, Poor Robinson Crusoe! Poor Robinson Crusoe! Robinson remained here overnight and the next morning made his way back to the shelter. Up to this time, Robinson had never seen any dangerous animals on the island. He had grown used to life there and went about without fear of animals. But, as he was returning across a little opening, he saw a clump of palms in the center of the opening, swaying about. He did not at first see what caused this, but soon there was thrust out the head of a great serpent. Its jaws were open and its eyes were fixed on a poor, terrified little rabbit. The rabbit seemed rooted to the spot. It could not stir a muscle and was soon caught in the folds of the great snake. This sight made Robinson greatly afraid. He wanted to rush to the rescue of the rabbit, but what could he do against such a foe? 
he resolved in the future to keep a more careful watch and always to sleep in his bower robinson had enough of exploring for some time he was contented to remain at home he made many things he needed he had saved all the skins of the goats he had killed for meat and all that had died from any cause these he made into rugs for his bed he kept at his loom too for he was anxious to weave enough of his coarse cloth to make him a suit of clothes he learned how to braid mats and rugs out of his fiber and finally replaced his awkward hat and parasol with others braided very skillfully from the long grasses that grew so abundantly in the marshy places another thing that robinson was now able to make or weave out of his fiber was a hammock he had slept all this time on a bed made of poles laid lengthwise and thickly covered with the skins of goats and rabbits now he could have a comfortable place to sleep he did not stop until he had made two one was for the bower and the other was for use out of doors when his work was done in the evening or in the heat of midday he would lie in it at full length under the shade of the trees end of chapter thirty four robinson as sailor chapter thirty five a discovery robinson could not forget his boat it seemed a companion it may be the means of my escape from this place he thought he took frequent journeys across the island to where his little boat lay in a cove he would start out in the morning and walk over to the west side of the island take his boat and have a pleasant little sail he always returned home before dark for to tell the truth robinson was a coward he was as timid as a hare he was afraid of everything and spent many nights without sleep because of fear it was while on one of his visits to his boat that robinson made a discovery that changed his whole life it happened one day about noon when he was going toward his boat that he with great surprise saw the print of a man's naked foot on the shore in the sand he stood like one rooted to the ground he could not move so great was his surprise and fear he listened looked around but could hear and see nothing he went up to a little hill to look further but nothing was in sight there was but the one footprint there was no doubt about it there it was foot toes heel and every part of a foot robinson tried to think how it might have gotten there but he could not it was a mystery he was greatly afraid and started at once for his shelter he ran like one pursued at every little way he would look behind to see if anyone was following him never a frightened rabbit ran to his hiding place with more terror than robinson ran to his cave he did not sleep that night for fear and remained in his shelter for three days never venturing out but his food was growing short and his goats needed to be milked he finally with a thousand wild fancies forced himself to go about his duties but he could not get the footprint out of his mind he spent many sad and fearful days thinking about it how could it have gotten there whose was it was the owner savage or not what did he want on the island were some of the questions that haunted him perhaps he thought one day i just imagined i saw a footprint or perhaps it was one of my own that i have made when i was going to sell my boat 
he took courage at this and began to go about the island again but he went in great fear always looking behind him he was always ready to run at the first sight of danger he had made himself a large strong new bow and plenty of arrows he carried these in a quiver he had made from his cloth he fashioned too a sharp pointed lance-like weapon which he hurled with a kind of sling in his belt he carried some new sharpened stone knives he had found a better kind of rock out of which to make his knives it resembled glass and could be brought to a fine keen edge armed thus he began to have more confidence he had a strong desire to see the footprint again and make up his mind about it he wished to measure it in this way he could tell certainly whether it was a chance print of his own foot or not so after a few days he again ventured across the island alas on measuring the print it was much larger than his own there could no longer be any doubt that it belonged to someone else again great fear fell on poor robinson he shook with cold and fright he resolved to make himself more secure against attack he cut and carried willow stakes and set them in a thick hedge around in front of his shelter this was outside the first and enclosed it in a season or two these had grown to such a height as to shut out all view of his home from sight to one coming to it from the front his flock of goats gave him many troubled thoughts his goats were his greatest treasure from them he obtained without trouble his meat his milk and butter what if they were discovered and killed or carried away he resolved to divide his herd into three parts and secrete these in separate fenced pastures in different parts of the island his herd of goats now numbered twenty-five he made thorough search about the island for the most secluded and best hidden spots where he could fence in a pasture one day as he was exploring on the west side of the island to find another open space for a goat field he thought he spied a way out to sea a boat he looked long and anxiously and yet he was not sure that it was a boat he saw but how easy thought robinson for the people of the mainland which must be at no great distance to the westward to come across to this side of the island in fair weather he thought too how fortunate he was to have been cast on the east side of the island for there he had his shelter in the very safest part as he was coming down from a hill where he had gone to get a better view of the sea he made another discovery about him everywhere at the foot of the hill were bones of all kinds nearby too were charcoal and ashes there could be no mistake this place was visited by human beings these were very likely savages everything showed that they came for the purpose of feasting and not for plundering it was very likely that they neither sought anything on the island nor expected it this thought greatly relieved robinson he returned home in a very thankful and composed state of mind he had now been on the island almost eighteen years and had not been discovered yet no doubt the island had been visited many times by the savages since he had been there in a short time his fear of discovery wore off and he began to live just as he did before his discovery 
He took, however, greater precaution against surprise. He always carried his bow and arrows, his lance and knives. He was also very careful about making a great smoke from his fire. He burned a great quantity of wood in a pit and made charcoal. With this material, he had a fine fire with very little smoke. Every day, also, he went to the top of the hill, back of his shelter, in order to discover, if possible, the approach of savages. End of chapter 35, A Discovery Chapter 36, The Landing of the Savages Another year passed by. Robinson longed more and more to get away from the island. Year after year, he had hoped and watched in vain for a passing ship. Every day he would scan the waters that held him prisoner for the welcome sight of a sail. He had been disappointed. Now his only hope was to escape to the mainland in some way. He feared the savages. He had heard stories of their being cannibals. But if they could come to this island in their canoes against the prevailing wind, why could he not get to the mainland with it in his favor? Strange as it may be, Robinson began to wish for the return of the savages. He hoped to watch them at a distance and find out something about their customs. More especially, he wished that he might capture one of them. He had two reasons for this. In the first place, he would have a companion. He pictured fondly how he would teach him gentle manners in the English speech. And two, the companion would be able to help him. Besides this, he longed above all to know more of the mainland and whether it would be safe to go there. He wanted to find out in what kind of boat they made the voyage. He thought that if he had such a person, he would have someone to show him the way to reach the land. The more he thought, the more anxious he became to see the savages on the island. He thought so much about it by day that he dreamed about it at night. One night, he dreamed that the savages came, drew their boats upon the shore, and began to prepare their feast. As he watched them, one of their number broke away from his fellows and came straight toward his hiding place. Robinson thought he rushed out, drove away those that followed the fleeing man, and rescued him. This dream made a deep impression upon him and made him await the coming of the savages with great hopes and eagerness. It was more than 18 months after he had formed this plan of capturing one of the savages before the savages made their appearance. Robinson was surprised one morning to see no less than five canoes drawn up on the shore at a point on his side of the island about two miles below his shelter to the south. The people that had come in them were on shore and out of sight. Robinson went back to his shelter to make his plans. He made up his mind that he would be foolish to attack them. There must be twenty-five or thirty of them. He finally went to a point where he could see farther inland and soon caught sight of a crowd of about thirty savages. They were naked and dancing around and around in a circle. All the while they were singing and making hideous noises. There was a fire in the center of the ring of savages. They are cooking their feast, thought Robinson. Maybe I can surprise them while they eat and rush in and seize one. But this seemed too great a risk to run. He had no weapons but his bow and arrows, his lance and knife. What could he do against so great a number? But fortune favored his plans. As he gazed at them from his safe distance, 
he saw one of their number break away from the rest and run with utmost speed directly toward his hiding place at once two other savages pursued him they had no weapons but clubs they ran with great swiftness but the man in front was steadily gaining ground robinson now to tell the truth was dreadfully frightened to see the savage run directly toward him in his shelter he kept his place however and watched the race the man running away ran along the shore and would soon come to the little creek that emptied into the sea below his home robinson saw that the savage would have to swim this to escape he ran down thither and concealed himself behind a tree and waited for the fugitive to come up as he did so the fleeing savage plunged in and swam across with a few strong strokes when he was well on the bank robinson presented himself and made signs to him to come to him that he would help him the savage was at first almost overcome with astonishment and fright for robinson presented a very unusual sight the savage at once ran to him and fell down at his feet indeed so great was his fright and distress that he placed one of robinson's feet upon his neck in a sign that he yielded up his life into his hands robinson raised him up and motioned for him to take the lance and help in defense against the men now coming up they hid behind trees and waited for them to swim across the stream but this they did not do when they reached the creek they could see nothing of their runaway they very slowly turned and went back to their companions robinson was well content not to let them know that there was any one on the island he feared they might return and destroy his shelter and fields robinson took the savage to his shelter and gave him bread and raisins to eat and a cup of water to drink he was very hungry and ate greedily after he had eaten robinson made signs for him to lie down and sleep for the Indian was nearly tired out with his long and swift run. He was a handsome fellow of his race. His limbs were large, straight, and strong. He had a good face. His hair was long and black, his forehead high, and his eyes bright. His skin was not black, but of an olive color. His teeth were fine set and as white as ivory. He slept about an hour. When he awoke, he came running to Robinson and again made signs to him that he was his slave. You saved my life, he seemed to say, and now I will serve you. Robinson named him Friday at once, for that was the day on which the great event of his escape had taken place. Robinson's next care was to fit him out with some clothing. He had by this time several suits made of his coarse cloth. He soon had Friday dressed in one of the old ones with a straw or braided hat on his head. He did not think it safe to allow Friday to sleep with him in the bower. He made a little tent for him inside the enclosure. This was covered with goat skins and made a very good protection from both the heat and rain. Robinson took care to keep all his knives and weapons near him in the bower, but his fears that Friday might harm him were unfounded. Friday, from the first, was faithful to his master. He was sweet and obedient in all things. He seemed to look upon Robinson with the love of a child for its father, and never tired of serving him. End of chapter 36, The Landing of the Savages Chapter 37 
Robinson as a Teacher From Robinson's Diary I began to consider that having now two mouths to feed instead of one, I must provide more ground for my harvest and plant a larger quantity of corn than I used to plant. So I marked out a larger piece of land and began to fence it in. Friday worked not only very willingly, but very hard. I told him that it was for corn to make more bread because he was now with me. He let me know that he was grateful for my kindness and would work much harder if I would tell him what to do. This was the pleasantest year of all the life I led in this place. Friday began to talk pretty well and understood the names of almost all the things that I called for and of all the places which I wished to send him, and I was careful to teach him all the things I knew. I showed him how to plant and harvest corn, how to gather fiber, spin yarn, and to weave it into cloth. He learned these things quickly and became very skillful in making pots. He knew something about this because at home he had seen the women make them. He ornamented them with figures of birds and flowers. I taught him about the true God, but as for writing, he could never do much with this. I had no books and could not make him understand the importance of writing. He began to talk a great deal to me. This delighted me very much. I began to love him exceedingly. He was so very honest and faithful. After I had taught him English, I tried one day to find out whether he had any wish to return to his own country, and as I talked to him about it, I saw his face light up with joy and his eyes sparkle. From this, I had no doubt but that Friday would like to be in his own country again. This for a time made me sad, to think how eagerly he would leave me to be among his savage friends. "'Do you wish you were back in your own country, Friday?' I said to him one day. "'Yes,' he said. "'I'll be much o glad to be back in my country.' "'What would you do there?' said I. Would you turn wild again and do as the savages do? He shook his head and said very gravely, No, no, Friday tell them to live good. He tell them to plant corn and live like white mans. One day, when we were on the top of a hill on the west side of the island, Friday suddenly began to jump in the air and dance about in great glee. I asked him what the matter was. Oh, joy, oh, glad, he said there my country the air was so clear that from this place as i had before discovered land could be distinctly seen looking westward i asked him how far it was from our island to his country and whether their canoes were ever lost in coming and going he said there was no danger no canoes were ever wrecked and that it was easy to get back and forth I asked him many things about his people and his country. He told me that away to the west of his country there lived white mans like you. I thought these must be the people of Central America, and asked him how I might come from this island to get among these white men. He made me understand that I must have a large boat, as big as two canoes. I resolved at once to begin to make a boat large enough for us to pass over to the land we could see lying to the west, and if possible, to go on to the white man's country Friday told me about. It took us nearly two months to make our boat and rig her out with sails, masts, rudder, and anchor. We had to weave our sails and twist our rope. 
we burned out the canoe from a large fallen log we used a great stone tied securely to the end of a strong rope for an anchor when we had the boat in the water friday showed great skill in rowing or paddling it he had managed boats ever since he was old enough but he did not know how to handle a sail or rudder he learned very quickly however to sail and steer the boat and soon was perfectly at home in it we made our boat safe by keeping it in the little cove at the mouth of the creek i had friday to fetch rocks and build a dock or place for landing but the rainy season was now coming on and we must wait for fair weather in the meantime i planned to lay by such quantities of food as we would need to take along end of chapter thirty seven robinson as a teacher